Um, yeah, you're just be, um, passing round uh, a flyer. Some of you will have seen this before, um, maybe some years ago when we were uh, at the other school. And I was looking through for something completely different uh, last week, and I came across uh, this sheet called the A, uh, A to, what's it called? ABCs of God's Attributes. And I'm going to refer to it once or twice as we go through the, um, go through the message. And they're for you to keep, for you to keep in your Bibles or wherever you keep things. Um, as a reminder that our living God is supreme. That's the title for this morning. And our God is supreme. How do you describe uh, our God? Um, so... The title of the whole series is The Living God Who Works Through People Like You and Me. Do you believe that this morning? That the living God can work through ordinary people like you and me. Sometimes it's hard to believe that our God can actually use you and me. But that's the title of our our series, and the last couple of weeks, we're into the third week. Um, the first week, uh, Andy talked about the living God who responds to prayer. And then last week, uh, Neil was talking about the living God who provides, and we had a demonstration of some bread being made uh, during the morning. I'm afraid this morning I have no demonstrations of anything else, so you'll just have to listen, I'm afraid. <laughs> This morning, but we're going to look at an amazing story today. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're looking at verses 17 to 39. And it's the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And um, believe me, this is not just a story that you may well know anyway, because it's one of the most well known stories. But I want us to look beyond the story and to uh, apply the truth that comes out of this. And um, I think it's just so appropriate that particularly this week, as we're going to be praying and fasting together, to believe that God will do extraordinary things against all the odds. And um, so I hope and I pray this morning that this story about Elijah will be an encouragement to you. I pray that it will be a challenge because I tell you personally that this week is going to be a big challenge for me personally. Um, but I cannot stand here in front of you and, stay and say that I am not going to go up for this challenge. I'm going to go for it. Um, and we'll see what happens. I believe that at the end of this week we're going to have story after story of, of how God has broken into each one of our lives in different ways. So um, remember... The living God is supreme, not just for Elijah, but that he's supreme in your situation, my situation, in the church's situation, and in Trinity's, Trinity Church's situation this, as this week as we partner with them in prayer and fasting. So let's get on with this. It's 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, and we're going to start at verse 17. And it says this, When he, that's Ahab, King Ahab, saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. 
You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, and, and, uh, uh, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other, wood, uh, the other bull and put it on the wood, but will not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. And I understand that literally that word traveling means going to the washroom. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with short swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then... Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seers of seed, He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. 
Then the fire of the Lord fell and burnt up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Father God, we just come to you this morning with deep hearts of gratitude for all that you've done for us. Thank you just for being able to be here together, to hear your voice, to worship you. And we just offer ourselves now that you, by your Spirit, will speak a word into each heart that we will be able to, that it will take seed in our hearts and allow to grow so that we might be more effective for you, that we might honour you in our lives this week as we step out in your name. Amen. So that's the story. Um, the living God is supreme. What, what is someone who's supreme? I tried to find out this, so I looked in the dictionary and it came up very simply with this, highest in rank and authority. The highest in rank and authority. And scripture talks a lot about God's greatness and his supremacy, but just, uh, just a, a little taster. Psalm 150 verse 2 says this, about his supreme greatness. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. The Psalms are full of, of words like that. And then uh, the Apostle Paul uh, in Ephesians 1, verses 18 and 19 says uh, his, about his supreme greatness to us, his incomparably great power to us who believe. And um, the translators have had of different versions, have had real difficulty in, in describing in words uh, God's supremacy. These are some of the other translations from that Ephesians 1 passage. The incredible greatness of God's power, the surpassing greatness of his power, the exceeding power of his greatness, the boundless greatness of his power. And uh, it's not surprising that the translators have difficulty in in trying in one word to explain that our living God is supreme. That is our God. He is all these things and more. And that is where this uh, sheet, this little fly that I've given you, is just a little help, a little encouragement as to the different ways. There's over 110, I think, different words in Scripture uh, that describe uh, something of God's character or what we call, what theologians call his attributes. But uh, here is a story that highlights this wonderful truth that our God is alive and that he is supreme. It reminds me of when I was a child in the 1950s. I used to watch Western or cowboy films. I don't know if they still have them these days. I, I suspect they probably do. Um, but there wasn't much else to watch on television these days. There was no... BBC Two, there was no ITV, there was no Channel 4, 5, Netflix and all the rest of it. It was just BBC and I think it was only around for <coughs> a few hours a day. There was no breakfast television at all. There was no uh, lunchtime chat shows where 
celebrities debate the latest cultures and issues that have been spoken about the previous day. There were no afternoon quizzes uh, that uh, fell our, our television screens all afternoon for those of us who are a little older. And, uh, so, but the Westerns, uh, cowboy films, there was always the goody and the baddie. It was always the same, and it always came up to a, cr uh, a climax at the end where the goody would beat the, the baddie, but it didn't look as if the goody was going to beat the baddie as you watch the film. And although maybe that is a poor illustration, this story of Elijah and Ahab is, almost has that feel of the, excuse the expression, the goody and the baddie about it. And you've just heard what the outcome is. But so Elijah challenges this idolatrous King Ahab uh, to bring himself and 450 prophets of Baal and to have a contest to show who is the living God. Actually, it was 850 prophets. <clears throat> 850 to 1. The odds didn't look good on the, on the face of it. And um, there's just a lot that comes out uh, from, from this passage, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of other things that you think of, but there are a couple of things that I just want to uh, bring out from the story that I think are appropriate for, for us today. And the first one with the, um, uh, the next slide is that false gods may promise much, but they ultimately cannot deliver as they are human creations. Now, verses 26 to 29 tells us this. Ahab calls on his gods and uh, you think, well, what is a false god? Uh, it's something that can be described as someone or something that is highly revered, followed devoutly, sacrificed for, and looked to for meaning in life and deliverance from problems. That's just something I picked up as I was looking at uh, this phrase. So in verses 20 and 21, it's... Uh, what is... In what way... Uh, in what, God, uh, are you, in, in what God are you putting your trust and hope in this morning to see you through these difficult days in which we live? I just wonder if you feel like you are uh, like Elijah, where the odds in your situation are 850 to 1. It seems that strong, it seems that difficult, almost impossible to believe that that situation that you are in uh, today <clears throat> could be anything else other than not good. 850 to 1 is pretty devastating odds if you are the only one. But in verse 22 it says this, Elijah says, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets I wonder, is, is that you this morning? Are you uh, the only one in your situation? Maybe you're the only one in your family who is a believer. Maybe in your work situation, you are the only one who is a Christian, the only one who is a believer. It may be that in your road or your apartment block or your neighborhood, you seem to be the only one 
or maybe in your, your school or your college or your university, you are the only one. Or even in your social life with your friends who are unbelieving, you sometimes feel that you are perhaps the odd one out, the only one. Well, you're in good company because Elijah was the only one. You see, there are so many false modern gods in our lives that seem more attractive than God. What do you seek more? What the world offers and promises? Or seeking after God? Jesus has some interesting words to say to us in Matthew 6 about our priorities. Matthew 6, and uh, I won't read it all, but it's through 25 to 34. But, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God closes, clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. This is the punchline. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. There was a, a Dutch Christian, Corrie ten Boom, who was imprisoned uh, in uh, the Second World War, and she says this about worry. Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrow, but it empties today of strength. And I think that's so uh, true uh, for many of us. That uh, uh, <clears throat> it false gods are anything that come between us and God. And then the second thing is that the Lord is the living God and he shows himself in power and glory verses 30 to 38 and um, this is where this sheet comes in helpful because I want us to encourage us to declare in your own times with God and or even with us together here of some of, of God's attributes that he is supreme and if you want to say amen or yes or you want to respond in some way that's fine um, but let's just let me just let, let, let's just declare some of God's attributes I've just highlighted a few here. He is alive. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty, covenant-keeping, eternal, everlasting, exalted, Emmanuel, faithful, forgiving, glorious, good, great. Are you getting the, the gist of it? That's good. Holy, immortal, in control, kind, king, lamb of God, majestic, Messiah, mighty, omnipotent, omniscient, only true God, powerful, radiant, rock of salvation, saviour, sovereign, trustworthy, unchanging, unlimited, unparalleled, victorious. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> that did me good. <laughs> Let's declare uh, that our living God is the one who will show himself in power and glory in your life this week. I wonder what God is going to do amongst us this week as we, as we pray and fast together.
as, as we get together uh, so many times this week. Let's declare his greatness. And then the third thing is to see God move. We don't need to work up frantic, desperate prayers, but rather calmly pray in faith that he is alive and hears our prayer. That's verses 37 to 39. In verse 32 it says this, He built an altar in the name of the Lord. And that speaks to me of prayer. It talks to me about acknowledging that the Lord is good. It says in verse 36, it's uh, Elijah's uh, prayer, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, and that, that you are God and that you are turning their hearts back to you. That's what we're going to be doing this week. That's what we're going to be praying for. We're going to call out to God uh, in our worship as well. Answer me, O Lord. Answer us, O Lord. And cry out about uh, a, a church, about our own individual situations, about our nation, about our community, about what's going on in other countries. There's going to be so much uh, that will we'll, we'll take uh, our attention and our prayers this week. But we are basically saying, answer me, O Lord. I was just reading this morning, I think it's Psalm 13, four times in the first three or four verses, it says, O Lord, how long have I got to wait? Lord, how long have I got to wait? Maybe there have been prayers that you've been praying for a long time, and it doesn't seem as if anything particularly happens. Again, you're in great company with the psalmist who wrote that. We can express our emotions to God. We can uh, we can say, this is how I feel, Lord. This is how I am. This is, this is what I'm struggling with. But our God, I believe, will bring insight and help. So how do we respond to all of this? First of all, you can have confidence in the living God. Sometimes we act as though we expect that the Lord won't want to be involved in the things of life that we're involved in, and we'd be more like Baal in this story, but we worship the living God, and so we should expect that we will see him move. So again, I just want to encourage us to believe that God's going to move this week uh, amongst us. Well, not just this week, but I'm just using that as, a, uh, as, as an example as we're going to be gathered together um, from time to time. <clears throat> you may be saying, well, God doesn't act like he did in the story of Elijah. Well, it is a pretty unusual story <laughs> but I'm sure that God prompted Elijah to do what he did and we must be open to uh, our living God uh, prompting us this week in situations to pray for issues or to say things to people um, maybe in the past you've been disappointed when you've called on God and nothing appears to happen well again this week I was just reading a uh, a little comment by Terry Virgo, who some of you will, will know as the founder of New Frontiers. He said this, It's easy to be dis disappointed with yourself or an event that went wrong, but for your Christian growth, how you press on is so important. Will you withdraw from God, reckon yourself a failure, get dejected, or remember God's grace and how the Lord specialises in amazing recoveries? I love those last two words, 
amazing recoveries. Uh, God specializes in amazing recoveries. We see adverts, don't we, whatever product it is. This, what is it? The, uh, we're specialists in this, this area. This will sort whatever your problem is. But God, our God, specializes in amazing recoveries. So let's declare to one another that we will put our trust in the living God who's supreme and in a God in whom we have full confidence. The second thing is let God be God in your life. And I'm going to ask Jane to, to just to tell us a story where that was our, 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 um, our experience and um, whilst it may not always be appropriate to organize a competition like Elijah did, because I said, I'm sure God prompted him to do it, it does show that we don't need to prove God to people, but we can instead point them to him and trust him to show himself. It's especially true when we're praying for family and things and situations that are close to us. So you know, I'm just going to get Jane to tell this story, and then we'll be fairly soon finishing after that. Um, it's, it's a story about when we were in, leaving Cyprus and the odds were completely against us. So um, we had to, to come back. We had to sell our house and car. And um, uh, uh, it, when it was 2012. Greece had gone bankrupt. And Cyprus is very related to Greece, the same banks and everything. And um, the financial situation was horrendous. And um, we had to sell our house. So we put our house on the market. We were in a little village outside Larnaca. We put our house on the market with um, a local estate agent. And he sent, sent people to see the house. And so our, our, our hopes were got, we got our hopes up, thinking, oh, this is it. And after a little while, sorry, they couldn't get a mortgage. And um, I felt God had given me a word that we will sell our house at the right time to the right person for the right amount. And that was so strongly impressed on me that I knew God would, would help us sell, us, sell the house. So um, um, this, we found out this estate agent was a bit devious and nothing was happening, no one was getting a mortgage. So we went with the biggest estate agent in, in, the, in the island. And um, again, people would come. Yes, they want the house, couldn't get a mortgage. And then it got that the, the only government employees would get a mortgage. It was finance was so bad, so only government employees. So we thought, oh, we have to wait for someone who works for the government to come. And um, uh, people saw the house, they couldn't get mortgages. And then they cut it down again. It was such a state. Only bank employees can get a mortgage. We think, oh, the odds are even worse, you know, just like uh, uh, with Elijah. Um, but I knew in my heart that at the right time, the right person would come along. And um, uh, so, and then a guy came along with his wife, and he, he worked in a bank. And he, uh, he said he's taken his wife to see 92 houses it was, and this was the only house that she liked the kitchen of. So with, and, and they were in the bank, got a mortgage so we got thought praise god and um and the, the day after we had a, a, a man who worked in the bank next living next to us the day after he said to us 
do you know you got there just in time? They're not giving anyone a mortgage now, not even people working in a bank. So, you know, you think that was God's time, the right person, and for the right amount. But our battle wasn't over that yet, because the government, it was so bad that we were wait, Cyprus was waiting for a bailout from the EU so that they wouldn't go bankrupt. But that would be on the, on the grounds that the, we had people with any savings over 100,000, um, 6.75%, they would take. And over 200,000, 975 they would take. So we thought, oh, if we get, put this money in the bank, and they're going to take some of it. And we, we knew we need every house is more expensive here. So um, we got to the... Um, Again, it's all, all things were being thrown, thrown at us, but we just had the assurance that we'd have the right amount of money to buy here. And um, so uh, in, in, out there, you don't, we didn't have a solicitor. You don't have a solicitor, but a little man comes and does all the, the bookwork. And, and you go and exchange contracts yourself. You go to, and the, you, the seller and the buyer goes to the land registry office and stand there at the counter, and he, he writes his cheque so much... Um, I don't know, we give, yeah, that's right, so much for the, its mortgage and so much for us and so much for the estate agent and all exchange checks. And, and, and we thought, but we've got to get this money out of the country quickly because if they pass this thing, they'll be taking a lot of it. So <laughs> it was just about half past 12 and the banks closed at one o'clock. So we went racing down to the bank to put this money in <laughs> and say, can it go to England, to the UK as soon as possible? And it did. So, you know, we, and, and the buyer, he said, um, so when we done our exchange, he said, you can stay in the house, house while you sort yourselves out to move. So we, we stayed living in the house another six weeks while we sorted out our moving and everything. So it was just God's provision against all the odds. And we also experienced it with our car because because diesel used to be cheap. We had a diesel car. So we went to garages, says, oh, we want to sell our car. <clears throat> you won't sell a diesel. You know, nobody wants a diesel car because, as you know, it's gone right, gone right up. And so um, wherever we went, advertise it. No one wanted a, a, a diesel car. So I went on the, the local internet, in the internet, and went on a local Anglo website, you know, for pe- English people on the island, and um, I put it on there. And immediately, a woman responded, she, uh, who was, were, they'd moved to the uh, local army base. She says, I want your car, she says. It's exactly what I had in England before we moved out, and I would know how to use it. And she, and she bought it. And not only did she buy it, but they paid from their, their sterling, their English bank, so we, we didn't have to deal with any money out there. It was just so amazing. But um, God has said he would sell a house at the right time to the right person for the right amount of money that we'd have enough to get back here, and it, against all the odds. So, Sorry, my group, that, our house group, that has already heard that. But, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, so the interesting thing about actually that house sale was that I did not let God be God in that situation. And it was very simple. The local estate agent um, had got us a buyer, and uh, this was going on over a period of months. And 
he said, well, look, I can do, I, we, um, we can do a deal here. If we agree a price of, I can't remember what the figure was, the buyer won't have to pay stamp duty. And the house was actually worth more than the limits of stamp duty. And so uh, he wanted to do it underhand. And um, I, and to my shame, I wanted to go down this route. And um, I, I think back on it now. It's easy, isn't it, with hindsight? But at the time, I tell you, the pull was very strong. I just wanted to get it and get, you know, I just wanted to get the deal done. And um, uh, well, one of my co-elders um, at that time, I still remember sitting in, my, in one of the rooms in my house, in our house, and he said to me, don't do it. God will honour you if you, if, you deny, you know, if you say no to this. So what do you do? There's a tension sometimes uh, in our lives, isn't there, where we are tempted to do something, uh, put it bluntly, uh, under, what's the word, um, un underhand. <laughs> uh, this is where we have to let God be God. And the other situation was that the guy bought the house, the, the couple who bought the house said, well, we haven't quite finished our rental agreement. Um, he gave us some money. Would you like to stay in your house? until you move back to England. So we did. We actually had the money for the house. We stayed in the house. OK, it doesn't happen in this country. So for two months, I think, we were actually living in a house that we'd sold, and we actually had the guy's money. <laughs> so, you know, God just moves in. Uh, his provision was amazing. Uh, but let's just quickly finish, because it's, time's getting on. Um, uh, yeah, so the third slide is just simply to worship the Lord and... and Verse 32, it says, Elijah built an altar in the name of the Lord. That's it, really. That's what we've got to do this week. Are you going to build an altar in the name of the Lord this week? For every one of us, the situation will no doubt be different. And I'm not pretending that standing here makes it any easier than it is for you in your situation. But what we can do together is this week is to, together, put our trust in the living God who is supreme, who is in control, who does answer. And that's where we need one another's encouragement. So I just want to encourage us to, to get together this week as and when you can. Um, have we got time for a response? Okay. What I'd love us to do is um, just to... Uh, break into small groups of perhaps three or four with your sheet and just declare and say to one another something, one of these things, or even just pray for you know, if, if you want prayer, um, pray. Just see how the Holy Spirit just, just leads.